I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You'd have Max Verstappen as author going, well, you know, you really fucked well up for me. And Lombardi going, yes, and would you like me to scrub your dick for you as well, you little shit? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. A recent revelation is that Neil Clifford has no idea what happened at this week's Grand Prix at Spa. So we're passing straight to him to ask him his thoughts on the Spa Grand Prix. Well, I did I did watch it because, as again, the cricket was rained off. And, um, oh, what the fuck happened? It was exciting for about 10 minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, it was, it, well, oh, my God, Max isn't in the front. That's really good. And um, then... And then he became in the front and we all went off and fucking went out yeah. in the garden or something. <laughs> but you know, it was it was it was good for the first little bit, wasn't it? And then we were all praying for rain and that didn't really come and just no. wrinkling. Um did Lewis get on the on the on the podium? No, he no, didn't. was four. I'm gonna ask you a simple question then, Neil Clifford. Mm. Ranking your peak of summer sporting experiences on television, where would you put F1 relative to the cricket relative to Wimbledon? Oh, I think F1 is down in, like, numbers. Below, it's below uh, women's football, is it? Oh, bloody hell, OK. Um, <laughs> right, let's not go there. Uh, Manish, save us from getting cancelled. <laughs> I, I thought it was actually a pretty good race, you know, comparatively. And um, it's quite nice seeing Lewis coming in right at the end and putting in the fastest lap. Um, that was really good. I'd imagine that slightly pissed Max off. But the bit about the Grand Prix that I liked the most was um, like our intern, Ben, who is in Thailand. He found a bar to watch it in with a mate. And he sent me a text going, do you think we should do, um, we should produce a sitcom between Jampala Lambasi and Max Verstappen? Because they just have this fantastic, the engineer and him. And I just realized, you know what? All we have to do is basically get them to script the film Arthur. And what you'd have is you'd have Max Verstappen as Arthur going, well, you know, you really fucked well up for me. And Lombardi going, yes, and would you like me to scrub your dick for you as well, you little shit? <laughs> it, would just be, it would just be fantastic. Literally. 
And you know they love each other so much. They love each other so much. They do. It's quite a good little relationship. It is. It's a great relationship. It really is. The fact we're having to talk about it sort of shows how decrepit and meagre the entertainment has become. Yeah, I I think you're quite right. Because we didn't always have radio transmissions. F1 is titillating via the periphery at the moment, I would say. See, do you agree? Yeah. So I've got two peripheral titivations. Um, I discovered something called the um, the Dunning Kruger effect. Anybody heard of that? I hadn't heard of that. Is it anything to do with? Is it anything to do with preparing stories about track days and then being told you're not going to use them this week? No, I'm not talking to you about that. Okay. Uh, no, the Dunning Kruger effect. You're talking about egos and big heads, aren't you? The Dunning Kruger effect was introduced to us by Alan Prost, who said that the behaviour of Rossi was a classic case of the Dunning-Kruger. And I, some of you might know, um, the, my boring day job is about sorting out how and why organisations usually don't work. I'd never heard of that. Um, it's got a graph and everything. There was a graph for it somewhere. It, looked, it was not as good as our graph of shitness of convertibles to joy and satisfaction. Oh, that's a great graph. That was a great graph, but this is not quite as good as that. So I thought it was, I mean, how Alan Prost to delve into the books and thinking of organisational effectiveness to try and describe how badly Renault's doing. Was it Boston no. Consult? Was it Boston Consulting Group? McKinsey? No, it wasn't. No. And uh, also, and also, could you, can you just quote? You must have it written down. He 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 issued the most coruscating takedown of what he thought of that of that Rossi chap, didn't he? Uh, he did. Uh, he said it's um, he's the best example of the Dunning Kruger effect. That of an inept manager who thinks he can overcome his incompetence with arrogance and his lack of humanity towards his people. Oh. Meow. Bloody hell. Alan's not happy. That's good, isn't it? We don't like it when Alan's not happy. The other thing I took away from it was, um, so my my little chuckle that Otmar's chuckling into his pudding, that didn't age well. Um, So he and Alan Permain, and there's a lot of people on the the telly, I didn't see it yesterday because I was, bit busy at Silverson being rained on, but um, it was obvious that people think that Alan Permain, for those of you who know, you've heard it, been there a million years, um, proper chap. Um, Otmar's also got the flick. Um, and there's a fantastic quote I saw from Otmar this morning. He said, talking about his Alpine departure, he said, talking about what he was trying to do before, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, the reality is the changes I was trying to make take time. I've hired some good people from other teams, but they won't join the team until 2024 or 2025. As I always say, you can't impregnate nine women and hope you'll have a baby in a month. Do you think he's tried that? (laughs) Did he really say that? It's on the internet. It must be true. (laughs) Oh, he's a a total, total dude. I I love him. I think he's... Yeah. And this just this, you know, this all this reminds me of was the Reggie back back when they decided Prost was the problem in 1983. You know, literally, arguably the best driver in the world at that time. Yeah, uh, we got a problem with the team. Let's get rid of him. Yeah. And you know, their loss, McLaren's absolute gain. And it's just so funny. Forty years down the line, and I know I'm calling them Renault, not Alpine, but um, <clears throat> plus ça change. I mean, what has what has happened in the last yeah. 40 years? Exactly zero. What is the point yeah. of Alpine, by the way? 
Does oh, they make nice cars. Something? Not very many of them, but they make nice cars. They do. They yeah, make, they they make a lovely car. They million dollars a year making Formula yeah, 1 cars. Yeah, I think the mar- the, if, if, you, if you view Alpine, the F1 team, as a marketing, marketing outlet for their road car uh, side, the sports car side, you, you'd have to assume that the marketing budget is 20 times the potential revenue of yeah. what a company can make. They're lovely yeah, cars to drive. They're lovely cars to drive on track days. But we can't oh, talk are they? About that. No, I can't <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> One thing we can that. talk about, though, the F2 feature race yesterday morning, that was actually quite good. I know they're all yeah. one make, but um, Mick Doohan won, I know it's his probably second or third year in the championship. He won from 11th on the grid, which is quite exciting. Ollie Beerman, who's, I think he's six in the championship. He's won three. I thought he was going to win yesterday. Very impressive young British driver. Um, I think he, this is his first year. I think he was winner or runner up in F3 last year. Um, people talking about him very positively. So good to see him do okay yesterday. But the F2 race was worth watching. Edward, you were a bit upset with me last week because I didn't give you your chance to say something profound about Formula One. And you sent me a slightly sniffy message on the WhatsApp group. So this is your platform, dear Edward, to tell us what you saw yesterday. I don't think I said that at all. I, I saw a few things. On Saturday, I got very excited when there was water bubbling up through the drains in Roge. That's the perfect time to start a race, in my opinion. Um, you know, do your fucking job, as I think it's one of what I said. You know, deal with the conditions and, and go give the audience some fun. I, I asked yesterday, are the rules changing in 2025? And I think you said yes, but it's actually 26, isn't it? 26 they change. They don't change next year, which is your question. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but it's fine. So we've got two more years. Anything else I can help you with? No, no. We've got two. You're all very chippy, aren't you? No, you started it's, it. It's a double Chris thing here. <laughs> um, it is quite concerning that we're trying very hard to enjoy this sport and talk about it. But, and, and I know in the past there's been domination from Schumacher and Hamilton but never to this extent. So I find it very difficult to get enthused and to see that there's going to be any change over the next two seasons ahead of us. You're you're absolutely... I did that naughty thing. I dipped into the comments for last week and um, a few people are hammering us for going, oh, you're always down on Max and what about Ferrari's domination and what about Lewis's domination? And um, I would just like to say in our defense, we don't, none of us like extended periods of domination. We don't. And I think if we'd been doing this podcast somewhere between 2000 and 2004, you know, we might well have been saying similar things about Michael. I think if we had been doing this, apart from Neil, before 2021, we may have said something cheeky about Lewis. There is something about the absolute mismatch between. Perez and Verstappen and this bullet and you know people have just got to realize it's one every single race this year 12 in a row he has now won eight races in a row this eight races this year that's as many as Senna won becoming world champion in 1988 it's a bloody reliable bullet that's the terrifying and and domination is very different to just winning you know if you win every race but every race is a race that's exactly. very different. We had that thing about it. It's a, it was a Ferrari, and that made us happy for a little bit. And yeah. I think, you know, Lewis, it made us happy for a little bit. And I always felt 
with somebody like Rosberg, because his box is so different to Lewis's box in terms of their strength. You know, he's much more technical, got the highest mark ever in the Williams engineering test. You always got a fe- the sense that, okay, Lewis had this amazing intrinsic speed, good technical ability. Rosberg maybe wasn't as quick, but was supremely technical. And you always got a sense that maybe Rosberg will be in it. You know, maybe. And you heard what Marco said about Perez. You know, why yeah. should we get rid of him? He's worked out now that he can never be world champion. Shut the fuck up and do his job. Yeah. I think um, I think that what I will say is that it, I had one or two moments during that race where I was reminded that maybe I've become uh, a low-rent consumer of Formula One, that I, I've stopped trying to understand the subtleties of the sport, that you don't just have to see wheel-to-wheel, mm-hmm. that you can enjoy strategy. There was a lovely moment at the start where we had a lot of different people on different tyres, different performance strategies. And I used to find that more enjoyable, maybe as I get older. It's a bit like those lay periods in in test cricket where I can allow myself to enjoy when nothing else is going on. Most people think, well, there's just 13 people standing in a field, but I'm still enjoying it. And and I think there was one moment, particularly where Max had that little swapper in Eau Rouge. I just thought, I thought we'd, it's so difficult for television to translate what you saw in that nanosecond. Difficult. You saw there's probably only two or three people on the planet that could have gathered that up like that. And all we saw was a wheel do that and that, and it's over with. I think there was a a moment where Cal Crutchlow was was viewing some footage of Marquez many years ago uh, on a MotoGP bike where he has an accident and somehow manages to push himself off the accident with his elbow and his knee. And Crutchlow just says... You, what you've seen there, there's only one man on the planet, one human being on the planet that can do that. You just don't realise it. Only he can do that. Yeah. I, I almost felt that when I saw him. I can imagine Lewis, but I can't see the others maybe doing that. And but and, and I, I've allowed myself to enjoy it for a second, but within two laps, I was thinking he's buggered off into the distance again. Yeah. yeah. No, it, should, Liberty Media, should they get Nui kidnapped? Or Max. What I would think, be best for the sport? Well, Nearly. given that Perez is so far off him, you'd argue that Max is more important. But I'm not... If you gave... The question is, if you gave Lando Norris that second Red Bull, what would happen? It'd be better. I'd be in second place. Yeah. I mean, so we, we, we may never Max know. Out. We may never know. Uh, the other thing, actually, that was an interesting thread of the weekend was can they race, should they race in the wet? And I was quite struck by Charles' comments about visibility. And I was at Silverstone yesterday, one of the boys was racing, Cam was racing in Caterham Series, and the second race was quite wet. It didn't feel like it had been raining that heavily, if I'm honest. Um, the GV4 race immediately before them was canned. Single seaters obviously run much closer to the ground. The GB4 cars are non-halo cars and they're, run, they're driven by quite young people. I think it'll be 14, 15 to, to run them. I sort of got that. Caterham's a bit more robust, bigger cage. Um, and it started behind a safety car. And I was struck when they all came back in afterwards, uh, how they all reacted to it. Clearly, it was very wet. There was a lot of standing water. Quite a few places, the cars were sort of lifting up. Um, you know, we've raced, Monkey, you and I have raced in, in the wet. But I do think something has changed. There's a different perception of risk appetite. And we've always said, and I've always said to, to both my boys and everybody else, you know, they've said, you've ever been scared? You know, well, you've been nervous and frustrated, but plain downright scared, it's in the rain, on a straight, where you think you can have a bit of a breather, in the rain, on a straight, 
all of your senses are telling you, I can't see a bloody thing. There could be something literally the front of the car and I'll never know it. And all your senses are telling you, lift a the, lift the foot. And we didn't. Um, and we just assumed that's how we should have reacted. Now, for lots of reasons, all of which I get, I do think there's been a shift in attitude. And Martin had a bit of a go on the commentary on Saturday when the sprint was delayed. And he said, I'm glad I'm not in charge of this. You know, mm-hmm. if we don't go now, they'll be on inters before the end of the well, safety. Well, they, they did call it, didn't they? But they were still going around in the safety car. And I think it was George Russell or Verstappen said... This George is said... Can I just counter that? It's an inter- I agree with you. I think it's an interesting point. But I think a lot of it is driven by the fact that, that most racing is now driven by data and ultimate possibilities, ultimate outcomes. And so in, when we were racing, and I think, you know, 20 years ago, you'd get, in, you'd get in the car and you wouldn't be ashamed just to drive at the pace you were comfortable at. That was it. And, you, and that was that. Whereas now, I think there's, there's so much pressure to be as quick as the person next to you. Yeah, yeah. It's not excusable to say... I don't mind being three seconds off because I reckon I'll last 50 laps. You've that's got to be honest. Yeah, I get away. that. No, that's a very good point. Yeah. And so, and so they, 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 there's, and with that mentality, if you let them go, they're all going to go flat out through a rouge. That's yeah. it. And if one yeah. of them chooses not to, you've got a fucking mess. Yeah, you're right. I had this debate with Karun last year at Monaco when they didn't start. I used to do an awful lot of international offshore yacht racing. And in yacht racing, the, the, one of the key rules is the decision to participate, including to start or end a race, rests solely with the skipper of the yacht. So it was a few, few years ago, the Fastnet race every two years, which I did a couple of times when I was much younger, um, was delayed. And that caused a real hoo-ha in the sport to say, if you don't want to start, don't start, but don't delay the start. And there were conflicting arguments either way about, well, hang on, responsibility of the organisers and so forth. And we have this debate in Motorsport UK about our risk appetite for the sport. And I'm, I'm becoming sort of more thoughtful as to where our boundaries should lie. And I think the data-driven thing, I think, is interesting. And you can definitely see they'd all give it a go. I don't honestly think there's anything extra dangerous about Spa as a track, other than the nonsense they've made of Eau Rouge and all that runoff. I think it's made it the, the spray does stuff. seem to hang there quite a lot. There's another thing I'd love to have a techie person answer, which is given these cars develop more down more downforce through ground effect now, does that mean they suck more moisture up than a wing-driven downforce that, that's just pushing the car down yeah. from that speed over seems a wing? To. They suck it up, they hoover it up. They do seem to. I mean, I, I have to say that when I saw those shots when they were behind the safety car at the beginning, I thought from above, when, you, when you're looking through just a couple of metres of spray, yeah. it looks okay. But if you were sitting, unable to really see much, even if it was dry... You'd yeah. say, I don't fancy this. Yeah, another triumph for those crazy regulations. Yeah. In okay. recent years, obviously, there's also been some particularly big crashes at Spa as well. So I, yeah. I, there's, there's no way they'd want to risk it. Ne- Neil no, I get I, that. Uh, I totally get on that. On Saturday, Neil and yeah. I were like, you know, do your fucking job. But in, in, in those cars, in those conditions... That, you know, that they would be all over the place, regardless of how talented they are, with, with zero visibility. Yeah. It would be carnage, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, scared, I'm scared on the M1 in a GT3 if it starts raining, let alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're we're, we're going to move it on um, because uh, you might not know this, but Edward has a dinner date this evening. Has he? Uh, and he's told us that we have to move quickly. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. So we're going to move on to, and this is oh. this is some lovely, casual. Beautiful British nerdism from the learned colleague, Neil Clifford. What's your favourite road sign? Because only really sad people would have would have a favourite road sign, but I do have a favourite road sign. I know what it is. 
off off the cuff. I'm going to tell you now. I don't offer answer for, offer answer first, but it makes me giggle every time. And it's when I see a bit of gravel being spurted up over an imaginary road, and it says skid risk. Because I know that I know that that sign couldn't have been more misunderstood <laughs> than the person that laid it could could ever have imagined. Because they, they're telling me to slow down, and I'm thinking I'll have a go here. This it's opportunity designed by a man. That sign. This, this is bang on. So for me, lads, it's skid risk. What's yours, Chris Cooper? Uh, funny enough, actually, when I had this conversation with the boys, and I know people get irritated when I say that, but a while ago, we've already been regritted here, and both of them said, shouldn't that be skid opportunity, Dad? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, favourite road sign is about feel good. It's about feel good, and it can be... It, it's mostly, for me, about destination. I, I, you know, the road trips we've hmm. done to the spa and to the ring, you know, a track day... Well, we can't talk about track days, can we? No. <laughs> if you're going with some mates on track day to spa or the ring, when you see... The, actually, it's a sign for Francochamps, not yeah. Spa. Yeah. Nice. The tracks are Francochamps, not Spa. Yeah. Yeah. When you come off that auto route, that fantastic auto route, and it's been a great trip, and you come off on that bang that right, you go down that very long, long straight road, and you see the traffic lights above the road where you think they're there, because just down there is the Grand Prix circuit in the world. And in a few months' time, you're full of fans. And you see that little sort of red edge sign with Francochamps, and you think, everything in the world is right. And that sense of well-being and feel-good is brilliant. So anything that creates feel-good, Francochon sign is one. When you get to Kelberg or Gerolstein on the way to the ring, you kind of think, I'm sort of there. The last bit of the journey is just the scenic bit where we can talk about what we're going to do when we get there and who's going to go in the car first. And that's just an unbelievable... And every time I see, actually, the Gerolstein fizzy, semi-fizzy water... I have that. They've, moved, they've moved the factory, by the way. They've moved the factory. Yeah, sadly, the bottling bit. So, and I, I guess because I'm such a Cornwall lover, um, every time you go down the A30, there's a, those who know it, there's the Tamar is obviously the border, the boundary between Devon and Cornwall. Do you know the Tamar River starts? You, you imagine because there's like the Bodmin Moor and Dartmoor, you think it'd be somewhere in the middle. The Tamar starts literally about 10 miles from the Devon border. You think it must be going uphill, but no, it's so high, the Devon side, it goes all in. I'm glad I had the opportunity to share this. Can we tell you I've got dinner? We only ask you what road (laughs) sign you liked. (laughs) Can you choose one? When you come down the A30 and you see that Kerno Cornwall sign, that one? That's possibly my favourite. Okay, right. Lads, he's chosen one. I'm going to put, I'm pressing pause on Cooper. No, pause. (laughs) Right. Uh, Neil Clifford. Mine's a very simple one. It's the national speed limit. I think when you're, I live in the countryside now and you have all the bloody drama of the 30s and the 40s, even the 50s. But when that national speed limit, that simple white with the black diagonal, 60 mile an hour, unless it's a dual carriageway with the central reservation. Um, I've been on that course. Have you done speed awareness? (laughs) Speed awareness course number seven. Um, and, And obviously my favorite sign is, demonstrating that I can now go faster. I can change down and off I go. I think that's just a lovely sign, very simple, and gives me a little tickle of joy every yeah. time I drive past one. Is it fair also to say that from the, from the early stages of driving, that sign, because it didn't have a number on it, represented something uh, less less tangible. It was more, for me, it was freedom. It just meant yeah. possibilities. It, it meant, it, it was a sign that said, on your way, off you go. It's yeah. like leaving prison. Yeah, well, I would. 
Yeah. No comment. Um, so uh, every day Manish. is a school day when I'm on here, Neil, with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Manish, what's your favourite road sign? Have any of you um, had a quick YouTube of the Shimla Road in India? It's just, it's terrifying. Spell it's up? literally S-I-M-L-A. Okay, if you just look at the similar road, I was born there. I mean, in Simba, and um, it's just, it's just one of these things. It's completely terrifying. Just, it's just a road that's literally cut out of the rock, going up these sheer mountains. But loads of them that there's no barrier to stop you going down. When you see a truck passing another car, I mean, you're just shutting your eyes. And half the time, the top bits of it are covered in snow anyway. So I found that the Himalayan road signs by the Border Roads Organization they paint these big rocks with a yellow background and in black lettering so that truck drivers and other people should follow some rules. I thought these were great. I'm going to have to do this in an Indian accent, which I'm allowed to, but I think these are great. Little couplets. Be Mr. Late better than late Mr. Okay. <laughs> How about this one? For truck are you allowed to do that accent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. He is. Um, He's yeah. Okay. If you sleep, your family will weep. <laughs> we we I shouldn't laugh, but I'm laughing with you. Love the neighbor, but not while driving. This this gives sexism a little tiny whip. Darling, do not nag me as I am driving. Instead, turn your head and enjoy nature charming. <laughs> These are all winners, Manish. <laughs> this was one I absolutely oh. love. This is for the racing drivers and all of you. Curves are blind and sharp. Drive your vehicle like playing a harp. <laughs> like that. These are genius. Very good. Oh, this is I tell you what, I don't fancy being Edward Lovett following that. What's yours going to be? A 50? <laughs> <laughs> You, Les, that's my favourite one. Les, go on, Edward. <laughs> sorry, I really have doubt you are past there. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I, I've, got, I've got a few. So like yours, Chris, one of my favourite ones is uh, with the old squiggly sign ahead, curvy roads ahead, because yeah. I'm like, oh, this is, this is going to be oh, fun then. Yeah. Um, I didn't go to America. In, actually, I went when I was very young, but then I didn't go for a very long time. And the, the first time I saw a Route 66 sign, put a smile on my face awesome. as something uh, and I read about and it's just you know, such an iconic sign that also in America if you're driving away from the cities I, I'm sure more than just churches have these but they have these church billboards with um and they change the signs on them all, all the time and yeah. a lot of them have quite a lot of wit and there's some rude ones but uh a yawn is a silent scream for coffee <laughs> and uh, let's get rid of um, let's get rid of uh, what what was the other one? Um, uh, oh, I, I can't I can't remember it. Um, I, I should have written that one down. And the the other one in the UK, which and I'm not sure quite why I like it, but the, and why they observe it in such a way. But as you get close to Birmingham, there are massive blue boards on the top of the motorway that just say the north. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I like the north. And whenever, yeah. whenever I see it, I just think, "Thanks I like for that telling one. me that." <laughs> yeah, I like that one. It's yeah. it's a, it's kind of 
It's out there. Yeah, I like that one. It's, it's not gonna, a small one. It is sort of dominates the whole motorway. I have two here that have just come to me whilst I was listening to you guys talk about it. One is obviously the, the dearest street sign on the autobahn, which is curiously the same as the national speed limit sign, but the bar yeah. the other way. When you see that, the first time you see that and you think to yourself, I can go as fast as I want. Yeah. Really? I've never been uh, on there. Well, you're, we're, all, we're taking you there. We need a road The trip. other one, you remember back in the 90s, the, if you were heading eastbound on the M4, the first distance sign after Reading Services said London about 40-something miles, 50 miles, and someone just put, it's a, and then there was London and wrote thing afterwards, and it said, it's a London thing for about <laughs> three years. And just left it there. So yeah. <laughs> it was just brilliant. I loved it. It just relaxed me. It's the London yeah. thing. Okay, let's move on. Now, here we go. This one, my favourite town in Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favourite town. Neil Clifford, for those of us that aren't watching this, has just held up a sign, which I think is in America. Switzerland. 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 And it's the name, it's a place called Unter, and it's spelt with a C. (laughs) Yeah, it's a place called Unter, and it begins with a C. So, here we go. Uh, We're moving on. This is, now this is a good one, this is. Um, what's your guilty crush of a car? Which is a car that you like, but you really can't ever admit to people that you like it. New, oh, we've all got. We've surely all got the same car here. New or used? You're chomping at the bit here, love it. What are you going to have? A Rolls Royce Cullinan. Oh, Ooh, yes, I like them. I, I, I honestly, I, 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 how can I turn him off? How I. Can I what, we, we, all, we all wanted to hate them. Chris did his um, great PR move with Rolls-Royce and now is never invited back to drive a Rolls-Royce again. But I, I was at Goodwood whenever it was, you know, three years ago or something like that. And we they took us off-roading in one of them. I've got to say, it's it's a remarkable thing. So I think it's very spec-dependent. Yeah, it is. Neil, you're not I'd allowed like one. Neil, you are not allowed one. I wouldn't, I, to be honest, yeah. I wouldn't buy one. And I wouldn't buy one, but it's a guilty thing. Like, you know, but I think it's yeah. quite cool. You just need to live in LA or Miami. Right, yeah. Neil Clifford, go now. Have, Neil Clifford, be... redeem yourself. Neil Clifford, redeem yourself now. <laughs> my, my, as I've said before, my first job was on the YTS scheme in Fiat Hannon Garage in Portsmouth. So I have a deep, deep love affair with anything Fiat. The shitter, the better, frankly, and therefore the Fiat Multipler. Oh, they're great cars. Well, I Which just one? I, the, the new one, you know, the six oh, yeah. the okay. ugly face. Um, I'd love one. I think they're magic, and I'd, I, I'm embarrassed that I haven't bought one because I shouldn't be influenced by other people's opinions that they're shit. They're still Roman taxis, aren't they? You get the you go to the budget airport, yeah. you still the get a multiple one. into there's Rome. Loads of, yeah. There's loads of them in Palermo. And I when when a cab comes to pick you up, I'm like, oh brilliant. And I was in one recently when we did the old Targa Florio. And it's just a cool thing. There's three of you in the front and three yeah. of you in the back. And it's got all that headroom and it's got all that glass. I think it's a magic car, and I'm, but, but I've not bought one because I thought people would take the piss out of me if I had one. You should want, buy, and buy on a nice original... private number plate to put on it. But yeah, I should. One NC on it or something like that. I, uh, I went on the launch, the original international launch of that car. That's how old I am. Uh, 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 Chris Cooper was chomping at the bit there. What have you got to say, Chris? Well, so I was going to say on the Cullinan, uh, the, the, it is spec dependent, and the spec I would like mine in is for it to remain in its constituent parts in the factory. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I do have a guilty secret, and it's actually it's much worse. I actually think the multiple is a really clever idea. So my guilty secret, my guilty crush, has six doors. Oh, was it? Cullinan's only got five. Is it a grocer? No, worse. It's a mini clubman estate. No. <laughs> I like them. I think they're cool. Yeah. I know I shouldn't like them. I just really do. The new ones. Yeah. Well, the current model one. Yeah. I actually, yeah, I think the original that. one was um because the, 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 the new the 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 original one. Is well, that's the countryman. The countryman. They did it, they did it, and they've done a sporty version, haven't they, with a bit more power. They've yeah. Done a so one. you wouldn't have that. That's just trying too hard. You want some sort of sort of sensible spec, clear glass, obs. Yeah. Um, not too many chintzy bits on it. I just like the idea of it. I'm, and I quite like the Mini. It's quite a nice yeah. small thing. and it, It's not bad to drive. And the Clubman just looks like, you know, when I'm older and, you know, sort of... Older? Older, yeah, you know. And I know everyone would think... I owe you an apology because you shouldn't be answering this question because how can you have guilty pleasures when you've owned back-to-back six-series convertibles? Well, like, this was my you, suggestion. You're this showing that you're a man. You're a man without shame. You don't care, do you? You don't care how you look. Anyway, days. a withering silence. <laughs> Manish, Manish, what's your guilty six series? Sorry, what's your guilty pleasure? Anyone who knows me could never see me in this car, but I've seen them on the road exactly twice, both times. I think in the states, and it will be a Lamborghini Cheetah. Oh, yes. You remember those? It's an yeah, yeah. 002. It's a 002. Yeah, exactly. A 002, oh, yeah. the armoured yeah. gangster vehicle. Can yeah. you just see me getting out of that like Al Pacino and Heat, going into that club, being frisked? Rambo Lambo. Give me what you got. Yeah. Rambo like. Lambo. Well, you can have that as a guilty pleasure all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think I'd look cool in that. They're bloody cool. I've got, okay. that. I've yeah. got one. I've got a guilty pleasure that I really... Yeah. I'm not willing to share this much beyond where I'm sitting now, but I'm about to, because it goes against everything I say. It marks me out as a total hypocrite. This question is about, are you a hypocrite? And the answer is, we're all hypocrites. Okay. Yes, so, absolutely. Whenever I see an RS Q8, I think I'd really want one of them. I just think it looks really good. I think the proportions are absolutely bang on. I think it, I'm sure it drives really well. It's fast. It's got loads of room. And I think it's just a really good looking Not the Q7, the Q8. The RS Q8. I just think it looks really good. Yeah. Don't you take the piss out of an X6? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm a total... An X6 to me looks like bum water. This looks fantastic. Yeah, the Q8 is for people who've thought bullying people in an X6 wasn't hard enough. You're trying really hard to counter the six series thing, but it hasn't quite worked. Now, I think with those with those selections, we should all try and get one of them, and we'll turn up at Salvino for a coffee in the morning with Neil. And I'm <laughs> I'm guessing I'm the only person that won't be allowed in. You're yeah, the only person that won't be allowed the car because Rolls Royce will tell you to Foxtrot Oscar because you work with me. <laughs> You've right, got to have an Italian card again, Salvino. It's got to be Italian. We can't invite <laughs> ourselves to. to I'd be fine really in my cool cheetah. I would be fine in my cheetah. I love yeah, it. There's one in the UK as well. We can't we can't invite ourselves to Neil's cool coffee joint in a load of shit SUVs. Here we go, and a mini. So, uh, next one. Is there a motoring skill you wish you had? I mean, I, I'm I'm impish at the best of times, but I could really start taking the piss out of people here, but I won't. I'm going to be modest, and I'm not going to say anything about 
um, Chris Cooper and Barry's Nurburgring, because that would be childish. Nor would I talk about Edward Levitt trying to use a mobile phone and drive a racing car at 40 miles an hour at the same time uh, at Silverstone. Uh, so n- none of these things matter because I'm just being friendly and lovely because I'm, I'm, I'm the host of this show and I want everyone to be happy. Edward, tell me what it's like to invert an M3 down the hangar straight in the middle of the night. Sorry, what's, is, is there a going- issue had uh, in motoring that you don't have? Yes, to to read the co- insurance contract before <laughs> I went into that fucking race. <laughs> oh, you are a good sport. Right, go on then. Let's get back to it. I've been a bit cruel there. Carry on. So um, I'm guessing 25 years ago, I met, someone came to Bristol in a Z3M coupe and they took, took me out for a drive in it. They were a journalist, not a very good one. <laughs> Schmee's better. And they decided to show me how to power slide the M Coupe around one of the roundabouts in uh, Cribs Causeway. I was very impressed and have spent the last 25 years trying to do it myself, sometimes successfully, (laughs) many times unsuccessfully, and quite a few times catastrophically. <laughs> I'm just phoning my lawyer. Hold on. So I, I would quite like for someone to turn up at Crip Scorsese again and give me a little bit more time <laughs> <laughs> to teach me when to lift off or not lift off. Mainly not. No, and, and I think look, a, lot, a lot of people say this, you know, being able to drift very well really is an art form and, and a lot of the best racing drivers don't know how to do no, it it's counter, like, um, counterintuitive you know M- marino talks about it like he just doesn't know how to do it um and so you know being able to drift doesn't necessarily make you quick but it, it, it is it is a real it's a real talent and when you see it being done well and done what looks like it's a very easy thing to do yeah, I think this that journalist you're talking about, I, I, I can sort of imagine who that might be, because I can remember, because that skill you talk about, it's it's very, very, it's unique almost, isn't it? And you, can you imagine how one would feel when challenged by that journalist to say, if you can do two circles of a steering pad in the 997 Gen 1 GT3 RS, which is the hardest car ever to, never having been on a steering pad, never having done more than that obsolete, to be told, if you can do that, because it's impossible, I will take you to the Hotel Divan restaurant in Bristol and buy you the most expensive bottle of wine on that line, only for all of the foregoing to come to pass and then not get the most expensive bottle of wine. But you that's not get, the motion skill I want you to did, talk about. No, you did, get, you did get the meal, but when you ordered a bottle of Petrus, which even back then was about 550 quid, and I was earning about 10 grand a year, you didn't get that either. No. So the skill I would like... You're not allowed to interrupt there. You did do it. It was, it, it was, it was a great demonstration of balance and natural skill. And, uh, and the next time, and this is the bit where I'm going to call him out, we'll do it between two walls... Uh, on a damp road and then we'll see how big your testicles really I don't want to do that <laughs> spanners spanners <laughs> I would love to have the skill to fix stuff so my yeah. old 1963 mini started and then died on the road I was just going to see Neil the other week I had to go back and get something modern that worked and I was really frustrated I thought you know what 
I can check with this petrol in, I can check the sparklies. I thought all those skills I have when I was a student, they've all gone. So there's a the motoring skill I would like to have sort of back is to be able to fix stuff and change a roll bar on a caterham and without having to ask Andy Parker and Team Parker Racing to do it for me. So proper spannering skills, mm. fixing stuff, sorting. Stuff. I'd That's like to have that. Who wants to know the result of the cricket? Oh, come on. We must come have won. We just won. Oh, my God, I can yes. just see it. Oh, my days. That's bloody good. Well done. Yeah. Broad is dancing. Thank Broad God. is dancing. It's fantastic. He's actually dancing. Oh, bless so, him. Sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt there. So um, here we go. So uh, Chris, he's, he's absolutely... God, I, I, he's just taking the words out of my mouth. Fix stuff. Uh, Manish, you, what do you think? What's your skill you'd love to have? it's with me totally theoretical but um i had a little crack at it when i was when i was go-karting in a kind of minor way you know the thing that senna was supposed to be able to do the blipping the throttle yes as you come out of a corner, just finding that perfect little bit of grip and then going boom and off you go i'd love to be able to do that love to understand what it is to use your right foot so quickly and so intermittently that you can find the absolute maximum level of grip of a tyre given any angle of steering, not oversteer the car, not understeer the car, just catch a grip perfectly and come out of a corner like that. That would be unreal. I've never, I've almost thought that was a conspiracy for a while now that he was doing it so that other people would copy him and he knew yeah. for a while it was rubbish. I just no, but no, but no, what I did see was, um, no, I spoke, to, I spoke to Bob Dance. I met him years and years ago. He was a, obviously very senior mechanic at Lotus, even at the time. And um, he said to me that Senna had worked out that that was the way to get around turbo lag. Yeah, yeah. That was his that way of doing sense. it. And then he said later on, though, he on used doing it. normally aspirated cars. Yeah, I mean, it really just worked. It worked for him. Right. Yeah, extraordinary. Um, uh, no, Clifford. Mine's very simple. It's, I'd love to be able to know how to enjoy a track day. We could talk about that. <laughs> you evil bastard, Bill Clifford. You evil <laughs> bastard. No, but I mean, I mean it sincerely. It wasn't on the agenda. Don't talk I, about it. No, I, I, no but it's, it's my, my guilty pleasure. That, or what is it? This is a pleasure I don't have that, I'm, that I'd like yeah. to have. Yeah. And I go to track days and I spend all this money and I've got the helmet and the gear and I enjoy talking to people and having a cup of tea and having a bacon sandwich and looking at other people's cars and being there and not being at work. But the moment I get into the car, I'm like, I hope I fucking just don't die. And I hope I get out soon because I, I can't remember the track. Even if I pay the instructor 300 quid to be with me for half a day that tells me, did you see that? fucking i don't know blue portable toilet a hundred meters from yeah. the corner that should be your breaking zone i can't even remember which fucking way the track goes yeah. alone <laughs> the toilet so all i want all i'm desperate is to just get out i'm not enjoying this my head's gone like this, a radish i'm holding the steering wheel too tight I don't want to be the dick who crashes i've got some knob up my ass flashing in a caterham and I just want to get off the track. And I, I really would love to be able to enjoy it, but I don't. We're going to help you with that. We're also going to make sure that you never commentate on a live <laughs> motor race with phrases like, there's a knob up my ass." 
Because that, 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 that would be a that would be that would be a short-lived career, Neil Clifford. Um, we will uh, we'll we'll try and help you in September if uh, Chris has secured the date. Yeah, yeah it's well, done. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. Now, um, uh, oh. I, I'm with um, I'm with Chris Cooper on fixing stuff. I've got uh, a couple of friends who are really handy spanners, and I'm more in awe of them than I am Bill Gates. If I see someone that can work on a motor vehicle with that sort of accuracy and efficiency, I, I immediately translate their skills into other areas of life. Yeah. I think they can solve the third world debt. They should be running the UN. They really, so I've got a mate called Shippy, who I mentioned now and again, he's proper character, but watching him when he sets to work on something or when he starts to just try and understand what, you know, diagnose a problem, just watching him do it. It's just That's logic. Lovely. And I just, it's amazing. Mm. It's such a God given skill and it should be rewarded with, 10 times the money because it just makes your life easier. But there's one skill that comes that, that is beyond that for me that I would, I'd do an awful lot to be able to do it properly. And Journalism. That, uh, that is writing. I wish, no, I'm joking. Um, I, it is um, uh, wheelie, a, a proper sports bike wheelie all the way up through the gears, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Have I been through Isle of Man? The way they just send it on the back wheel. I because maybe partly because I can do it. I think wheelies are cooler than sliding cars around. I just weren't you going to go and do a wheelie school recently? I, went, I, I couldn't. I went to this really, really lovely woman. I was going to go to the wheelie school with, and I couldn't. There's a thing called a, a wheelie thing. school. There There's is. I, wheelie two, two of my guys have been to do it here. Yeah, yeah it, and they put they put like uh, stabilizers on the back, so you can't flip it. You can still flip it. Oh, give me a go. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to wheelie school, but I just think. I just think it's so cool. There was a bloke who came down, if you know where Clifton Village is in Bristol, there's a bloke came down the back wheel uh, right through the main bit on, on the back on a scooter the other week. And I know this is completely wrong and he shouldn't be doing it. But I found myself involuntarily clapping. And I just stood there going like that, like this, just <laughs> clapping his wheelie. And the bloke next to me went, you shouldn't be endorsing that. And I went, I know, but it's just a, it's a popular reaction. Look at it. something that cool, I have to celebrate it. So um, for me, it's it's the wheelie. I could yeah. do a grifter. Like yeah, I'm looking at again. Uh, I said I'm not very good a on a grifter, or even what? a chopper. Could you? you could definitely do a chopper. Wheelie a chopper. Wheelies on a chopper would be very. I could, wheelie, I could, I could sorry, wheelie a chopper. Yeah, same. Not yeah. the five-speed one chopper. with the racing handlebars. The normal chopper. Yeah, the bicycle. The bicycle. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, we're making good time here, so Edward can make it to his dinner date. Oh yes. Um, so we're going to move on to the two-card garage, which is we've missed uh, one, but carry on. The most lost you've ever been. Oh, the most. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. Let me just. Uh, I'm just going to have to answer that quickly. Uh, this is the CEO of Singer. Uh, I'm in the middle of recording my podcast. I'm going to say the word Singer now, so you get even more famous. Oh, my favorite card. Cards, and we'll speak to you later on. Bye bye. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, the second one oh, was off. Hold uh, on, it's Luke Montezemolo. My dinner date. Danny Eccleston. Hold on. All my things are all my things are linked up so that it comes up on my screen. I couldn't get rid of it. What is the most lost you've ever been? Uh, This is literal, not figurative. Manish Pandey. Um, My son's godfather is a pediatric plastic surgeon in Oxford, as I think I've mentioned. So, I think the journey from. John Radcliffe Hospital to Middlebarton, where my uh, in-laws live, is probably six or seven miles, something like that. Might be a bit longer. Is it a bit longer? Quite straightforward. Yeah, it's the most lost I've ever been. Because I have an admission, as well as only owning an Audi A4 Avant from 2007, (laughs) I can't read maps at all. You can't be our friend. Oh, I know. I knew. I knew this was my last one. We'll teach you. Okay. It was a nightmare. He just said, put the fucking map on your lap and we'll be there in 20 minutes. We were two hours late for a barbecue. We arrived five hours late for a barbecue Uh, on seven miles of road. I just kept going. I think we go right here. I think we go left here. It's just, I'd like to say this was 400 years ago. This was about 10 years ago. I mean, the whole thing is, it's it's i don't do sense of direction i just i just don't when 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 i was at cambridge i used to walk out of college with this guy called rick caesar who um is now he's he's an ocular plastic surgeon and we used to walk out of college if we went left you'd end up at the medical faculty and for six weeks i used to go to the medical faculty with rick the one day because he had a very hot girlfriend obviously i didn't go knock on his door um, I got out of college, I turned right, and it took me 20 minutes to realise I was in an economics lecture. I just, I went to the wrong Here is the thought. <laughs> I, just, I literally have no sense of direction. So actually, your whole life is a, is a story of being lost. We should have asked you the one time you actually got there. Well, exactly. <laughs> so we'll, we'll ask that and her name was, and, you know, no, no, no. Okay, uh, Chris Cooper, uh, what's the most lost you've been? Uh, you shouldn't get lost. There's no excuse okay, for it. Next. <laughs> There's no excuse for it. Um, because you got maps. I have been lost. Uh, and one of them involved somebody. I was my then girlfriend. We were going to somewhere between Barnstable and Linton in North Devon mm-hmm. with some friends for a, it was a Friday night, driving down the M4 in my Mark One facelift MR2. And that kind of first weekend we've been away. And we were so lost, she got so lost. I actually got irritated with her, and it was our first kind of date weekend away. And she said, we got there, said, you know, this is kind of our first, you know, and I'm, you know, uh, and you're irritated. And I was really irritated. I was, you, should, you should never get lost. There's no excuse for being lost. If you know where north is, and if you're on a road, you can say, I'm on that road, there's north. Somehow, we both got completely lost. The other reason why you can get lost but shouldn't is sat-navs that don't point north. They should be banned. Sat nav should always point north. Because if you yep. say to somebody, I'm trying to find you, where are you? And you say, Which way are you pointing on the screen? And it's all well, moving. Just, said, but but north is to the top of your screen. No, no, the arrow's just going, have you got your sat nav set to north? Oh, I didn't know you could do that. I have all those people shot. 
<laughs> you should never get lost. So the worst time was in North Devon um, because, well, we were both a bit distracted. So, yeah, but I don't think you should ever get lost, even with a sat nav on map. Maps are great. I love maps. I think oh, maps I, love a, I love a map. Yeah, I love them. I love a bit of cartography. Really, really good. I once worked with um, Ordnance Survey. You know what Ordnance Survey is called, Ordnance Survey? Chris is ignoring you. He's now looking at the you know why on his phone or texting again. Singer. We need to know what Chris explains as to why uh, Ordnance Survey is called Ordnance Survey. No. Well, it's to do with ordnance. It used to be part of the MOD and sort of, you know, stuff. Um, what, so it's not standing on landmines? Something like that. So okay. maps are great. I love maps. So you shouldn't get lost. Okay. But you did but I have been, and it was North Devon, and it was, and I probably blew my weekend because of it. I'm, I'm actually researching my answer because something else has cropped up there. That's what I was doing. Uh, Neil Clifford. On the 15th of August, 1977, I left Portsmouth with my mother in a Mark I four-door escort. Very rare. That's Ooh. a rare thing. PCR924M. Two grand at <laughs> Lennox. And we were heading to Kirkcuddy because we... Oh, good pronunciation. For some, for some reasons, I've got relations in Kirkcuddy. And we ended up in Exeter. Because, and I don't really know how it happened. I was, I was how old was I? I was 10, me and my mum in this little escort. And obviously there were no sat-navs. And I think you used to go to the AA and they would give you a route. They would? They'd print they it would. out for you. They would. So she gave me this stack of paper. Because it wasn't a map, it was a stack of paper with the instructions. And this was before the M25 or whatever. And you sort of head up the A34. And I think you were doing a left onto the M4 and then M5. But we did a left onto the A303. So we did a left about 10 miles too early. You went too soon. And then the next minute I saw, welcome to Devon. And I, <laughs> and I said to my mum, are we supposed to be in Devon? And she said, no. And we stopped and we asked and we stopped in a petrol station and we were, oh, no, you're fucking gone the, right, the wrong way. Anyway, the exhaust then fell off on the M6 just by Kendall. But, you know, my mum, bless her, she's not around now, is as hard as nails. So we had some string in her handbag, and she must have been, what, how old was she? She was in her 50s at this point. Got under the car on the, M, on the M5 at night and tied the exhaust back on with fucking string. And we got to Kilcoddy at about midnight in this little Escort 1300L. And the reason why I know it's the 15th of August is because the next day, Elvis died. And I remember that on the TV, it was like the biggest news ever, wasn't it? And I was stuck in this sort of 70s room full of orange cord in Kilcuddy, watching this black and white telly about Elvis's death. So that was, yeah, that's my, uh, sticks in my memory, like no tomorrow being lost on the way to Kilcuddy in an Escort Mark 1. You um, you can follow that one, Ed, but it was too good. Mine's going to be crap after you that. Keep you keep giving me next. that. Well, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm just... lobbing you the hospital bus. <laughs> um, Chris just mentioning Ordnance Survey, just because to be honest with you, when, when this came up, I, I don't think I've ever been lost in a, in a car um, unintentionally because um, I'm quite good at sort of knowing where I'm going. That, that's a remarkable phrase. I have to just digest that one. Unintentionally. But when Chris was talking about Ordnance Survey, I, I at school... 
I used to I used to do the national champions uh, ch- na- national championships of orienteering, and uh, you obviously yeah. have to re- you have to read a map yeah. very quickly, and then important. you have then you have to go and run as quickly as you can to that next um, point where you where you clip your card, and obviously if you realise where you've got to where you think that clipping of the card point comes, and you're like. The, the clip's not here, I'm in the wrong place. And then you look at your map, but you actually don't really know which direction you ran in. You just know it is the wrong direction. Finding where you are on an ordnance survey map to try and run back to where you think you should be is very... So I got lost a lot <laughs> in that. I wasn't very good at it. Orienteering <laughs> I was quick, but is I wasn't like, very good at it. Orienteering is, is like rally driving without the car. Yeah, exactly it was. I, I loved it. I don't know and, if they you know, still do. It. How do you read an? I know this. How do you read the six-digit six reference on an ordnance survey map? Which number do you read first, the vertical or horizontal? Who knows? Uh, horizontal. Normally, you should read Tell us, Christopher. No, it's back, horizontal. Back first. I remember so, this in scouts. You walk in the house and then you go upstairs. Yeah. So it's the verticals and then the horizontals. I am going to give you. I'm going to give you a car story of unintentionally again. But I I bought. um, So I was moving from the UK to the south of France, and uh, I I needed a car. Which uh, time? First, second, or third? uh, Third time, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So I need. I needed to buy a car. I I just got back from the US, sold the house, got. Put most of the contents of the house into the 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 removal truck. He's a disaster. I I need I need to buy I need to buy something cheap that I can drive down there. That doesn't. I'll just leave it. Just shut up and let me tell the story. (laughs) So I I go down to BCA in Bristol. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. We're gonna talk about have have myself some fried bread and beans, and then go and go and sit in in front of the rostrum and see if I can buy find myself a bargain. Obviously, needed to be an estate car. And ideally reliable because I wouldn't be forgiven by my wife or family if it broke on the way to the south of France. So I bought a 520 diesel M Sport for about £7,200 or something like that. I'd done 120,000 miles, but it looked fine. And it was quite cold the day I bought it. So I didn't need to use the air conditioning, drove it, drove it home. And then a few days later, uh, got the family and it got it loaded up, and off off we went to uh, to Dover or Folkestone to drive down um, to the south of France. And you go to Reims, and then you head down to. And after Reims, the motor you need to concentrate so you get the right um, road to go to Troyes and Dijon. Yep. And I was just. Yep not concentrating and went straight on towards Strasbourg. And that junction between Dijon-Rance uh, and, and Strasbourg, that first junction you get to is about 53 kilometres before you can turn round. L- by this stage, when we got to Rans, my wife hadn't quite realised. It was getting hot in sort of mid-afternoon. It was about 2pm or something like that. It was definitely starting to warm up. And we would we might have turned the... Um, the fan on a bit, but she hadn't quite realised that the air conditioning wasn't working. Oh. oh. 
or the 110 mile correction round trip, <laughs> the temperature started to nudge up into the 35s in the middle in of every the, sense. the summer. That was a painful 100 kilometer de detour to have. Interesting. Interesting. Does a misjunction constitute getting lost? In some respects, it could do because quite often, when you when you scramble and get frantic afterwards to recover the mistake, you get lost, don't you? Um, I think it is possible to get lost in the modern age. Uh, anyone that's ever driven in Dubai or had the misfortune to drive there will, I'm sure, confirm that that place is impossible to drive around. It really is. It is a it's a central motorway that runs down the, the spine of dubai mm. and it isn't logical and you cannot come on and get off the way you do on an old motorway i wrote a story for jalopnik which we'll put the link up to now which is called getting lost in dubai can make a porsche 918 hell on earth oh, I, I remember yeah i With drove my small violin i had a porsche 918 when they were new and i drove i drove past my hotel i if i'd stopped I could have lobbed a rock into my bedroom window. Two hours later, I was nowhere near that fucking hotel room. And it, and it caught, it's the closest I've come to having a full breakdown. I definitely cried. I definitely, I was, you know, when you just don't know what to do with yourself. I, it was, it was utterly yeah. traumatic. And I'm going to put the story up now. It's lots of swearing in it, but there you go. I really did get so lost. I hope it makes. I hope you enjoy reading about my pain. <laughs> Dubai is. It's not like a normal place with the roads. You, you you can get even with sat nav. You can get so lost. It's just not worth driving there at all. Terrible. Right. <laughs> moving on. The two car garage for this week as set by. Who was it? Set? Clever Jason. Clever Jason. Clever Jason. Yeah. There we go. Here we go. Um, oh, I like this. Um, after passing your driving test in 1989, you spent months with motoring magazines, cross-referencing insurance groups with 0-60 times for cars under £2,000. This excitement culminated in your dad buying your 1.3-litre Mark III Escort for your 18th birthday, which you then proceeded to mod to look like an XR3i, as you would. Now it's your turn to put your hand in your pocket. You've two teenage daughters who've just passed their tests and a budget of £20,000 is generous times. You want two cars for them to share. They want one cool car to stand out from the others, uh, from the other kids, and the other safe enough that you, and more importantly, your wife, would be happy for them to take on the motorway to drive to and from uni. The £20,000 also needs to include the first year's insurance. We've brought it back down to earth, girls and boys. We're I'm going to go again. first, and I'm going to leave you, if that's okay, to finish off. Is that all right? I don't yeah. like that phrase. I don't like that phrase at the end, but you can use it. Let's, uh, Edward, love it. Let's hear what you've got to say. Right. Well, clever Jason does like his cars, and he also likes racing. So we're going to have to balance this safety side and the fun side. So the safety side is going to be. Something like a 2018 Polo one litre Blue Tech, which you can pick up for a, a pretty fair bargain of, you know, five to six thousand pounds. They mm. obviously need some fun. And as our rules in the past have said, you need an open top car in your two. That's gone out the window. Neil Clifford shat on that last week. So he, he did. He, he did, did indeed. He shat all so, over it. 
as I went to drive this wicked little thing two weeks ago, the fun car is going to be an MX-5, an oh. early one. So for about four or five thousand pounds. And it. then we're going for fun to drive it up to Winchester and we're going to pop a brand new Jaguar V6 engine in it. That's going to be the fun car. Donutting around the campus at the university, track days with dad at the weekends. I think that's a good combination. The budget police are over you like a rash at the moment. Love it. No, 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 that's not. It's within budget. It's seven grand that engine is. How much to insure the car? Yeah. And with Chris, with, that car? with Chris Cooper's newfound skills on the spanner, he can pop down to Clever Jason's yeah. and help him fit it. Just before I go, the, the, the first day they take delivery of the car, they're going to want to play some music uh, in there. So that will be my music choice, which is Adventure of a Lifetime by Coldplay. Oh, Very no, good. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Now, the Grey Goose Martinis will not wait. I must depart. Um, and I look forward to hearing your two car garages uh, on Friday. Let's talk about him now. Okay. Yes. Off you go. Bye. 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 Missing you? Not really. No, I'm not at all. No. I am. I'm always saying oh. people say I'm nasty to him. You're the ones that are nasty to him. I just give him. <laughs> I, give him a, I give him a friend, friendly amount of shit. No, oh. what's your two car garage? I don't know what it's like to have two daughters. Clearly, these daughters must be the same age, and they therefore might be twins. Weird. They're twins, right? He doesn't say twins, but they must be twins. Um, and they hate each other in my head. <laughs> Your kids wouldn't hate each other, Neil. You could no, they wouldn't, but I don't own twins. I don't have own. I don't have twins. Whoa. So I'm my, my in my imagination. There. Whatever I buy one, they will be jealous of the other one. Yeah, that's why I've got but, to share them. So no, but they're not sharing either. Uh, okay. They're, right. they're no. not. They're, they're, You're on your own. I then. don't think the sharing thing really works. Okay. Um. Certainly, I've got two sons, and they they it, it, there's a mass brawl if they're sharing sneakers, let alone cars. Yeah. So I've decided to buy two exactly the same cars, but with yeah. a small twist. I.e., I'm back on form. One is a cabriolet, and one is a coupe. So it's. A bit Alan Clark, winter car, summer car. Oh, you've done me completely here. It's exactly my idea. You utter bastard, Clifford. I'm going to fucking work now, aren't I? But but most importantly, what are these cars? These cars are... Wanker. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And I I recently bought one of these, and it it was quite funny because it's one of Chris's subjects that will come up in the future. An Audi TT Mark One. Yeah, now, the, the 180, not the 225. Yeah, but you, you've got to go. That, that's simple. We can all buy, go and buy those. There's millions of them. Most of them are shit, smell of fags and dog turds. But you go, you go and buy two amazing, both with baseball leather. Now, the baseball leather, as we know, is a very difficult spec. I found one. I bought one, a green one with baseball leather. The the error that I made was a cabriolet. And you looked a bit of a knob driving it, to be honest. I should have gone for the coupe. So I've gone Mark 1, TT, 180, both with baseball leather. I suppose silver with the tan baseball. One's a cabriolet. One's a coupe. And they can share them. They can have the joy of hardtop on the winter and have the joy of the 
cabriolet in the summer the mother is going to drive them in the bloody four by four to university with all the shit in the back anyway and they don't need a car at university because they're always pissed so the cars will just stay on the drive for three years but at least you've not had an argument between your two daughters don't rub it in chris cooper so um it's very i i read this carefully Maybe more than others did, but it said... What does it mean you're going to give us seven answers rather than five? Uh, at least seven. One's got to be safe enough to take both of them to University River. So it's very hard to walk past a Golf or a Polo or a Merc A-Class, something like that. So 16-plate Golf 1.4 TSI match, really hard. It's a great car, great car. Um, but I only got there once I'd walked past... A 2006 Audi A8 Quattro W16 with 51,000 miles on it, warranted by a fine motor vehicle purveyor from Wallasey and Merseyside, for which you wanted 9,900 and something pounds for this clear glass, beautiful, nice, simple spec, no bling. But I thought, no, okay, I'll have to have the golf because I'm having that out. Normally it's W12, not W16. Sorry, should I say W16? W12. Yes. Normally aspirated. Bugatti engined Audi. I'll tell you an interesting fact about that car. That's the only car I've ever broken down in on the way to Le Mans. Is it? Okay. So we'll stick with the golf then. Take the golf. New press car. fun car. I was in a convoy stuck in traffic on the old Peripherique, and my friend Colin Goodwin was in his handmade, which he built himself, Chevrolet El Camino, and I was behind in a brand new press W12. The Camino idled perfectly for two hours, and the Audi shit itself. So don't have the Audi. Okay, won't have that. So it's a goal. So then, fun car. I too looked at um, boys. I did this afternoon. We're quite a lot of fun actually. Uh, 2012 Mazda MX-5. Yeah, quite a good thing. Um, and then, but I actually, you can get a BMW Z3 1.9, about six mm-hmm. grand. The coolest thing, though, because it's got to be fun. And MX-5, you might be trying too hard. 1967 Morris Minor Convertible. Oh, they're lovely. I think completely inoffensive. No one's going to think you're trying too hard or trying to be too cool or flash. So Golf 1.4 match, 67 Morris Minor Convertible. Probably a lot of it in insurance. That's what I think. So I'd be thinking about, I mean, my two boys could probably share because, you know, they, they get on all right. Um, but that's what we do. I think it'd be a great choice. Great, great, uh, great two-car. Chris, what's your idea? I'm, I'm so, I'm so disappointed in you, Neil Clifford. I'll tell you what my idea was. My idea was to build a further bond with you and say, do you know that motion rides we love, Alan Clark? I want the idea of a summer car and a winter car. And it was even going to be a fucking Audi as well. No, I was going to buy. I was going to buy an A3 cab and an A3 normal A3. You don't like and they were going to be called the summer car and the winter car. Anyhow, that's gone right out the window. So this is what I'm going to have. Okay, thinking on my feet, I'm going to buy. I'm going to speak to my insurance agent. He's going to do me a deal because I'm going to remove all my insurance from them unless they help me out here. I've bought a hundred thousand mile Golf GTI. It's a Mark Seven. It's a thirteen plate. Um, and I can get insurance on that. You wouldn't believe it, but you can. If you, if it's you not a Mark around, 7, that's a Mark 6. Uh, no, 213 is a Mark 7. Um, one of us is a motoring journalist, one of us is a management consultant. Um, and um, so the <laughs> second car... like to wager on second that? car is going to be a... Uh, would you believe it? Right it is. Because I, think, I think this is cool. Um, it's a Mark 1 Mercedes SLK, which I think is one of the best oh, bits of styling they ever did. Mark 1 was nice. 
I think the Mark One, just a 230 compressor, but it's been kept by a lovely woman down near Bournemouth. It's done 58,000 miles. It's worth nothing, really, but we're going to get it all minted up and we're going to love it. It's safe. It looks cool. It's nice and compact. Electric mm-hmm. roof still works. I've had to work really fast there. Rescue me, for fuck's sake, Manish Pandey. <laughs> I don't think I can. Um, I did it the other way around. I thought the insurance clause was the interesting clause in this. and Yeah, yeah we've all sort of just- ignored that. Well, no, it only it just got me thinking, you know, how much driving has changed in the last 30 years. And it's very, very difficult. My um my brother-in-law is a cardiologist. He has two very, very nice girls, Hannah and Maddie. One's at medical school, the other one is um working to be a, a lawyer. And I remember he went through all of this himself. You know, how do you buy your girls safe cars? How do you insure those cars? And um it was the first time I encountered the insurance black box. Yep. And um, again, you know, never heard of such a thing. And I couldn't believe poor Hannah just passed her um, driving test. And for the first year had a black box in her, like, you know, I can't remember what he got her at the time. And they would drive the car, as in my sister would drive the car or Jonathan would drive the car sometimes. And you would just see them hunched over the steering wheel doing exactly 19 miles an hour and 20 mile an hour zones, 29 miles an hour and 30 miles, never took it onto the motorway just in case, because the insurance company was absolutely logging every single thing these these young ladies would do, because if they didn't, they wouldn't get insured yep. in the future. And you just realized we didn't have that monkey we didn't. on our back no. at all, did we? You How possibly- many accidents are caused by the nervousness that's derived from those boxes? <laughs> I'm like that with speed limits. Yeah, most most accidents. I mean, it's that thing, isn't it? When you drive looking at the speedometer instead of out of the window, and it takes a while to develop that intuition. You know, it does take a while to work out. Oh, when I drive on a road this big, I'm doing thirty. When I'm on the motorway, that speed is actually seventy, and they feel exactly the same. And it takes us a while to judge that. So, um, I did it backwards, and I actually checked out. The insurance for a 17, the average insurance for a 17-year-old, according to Compare the Market, is £1,672 a year. That is the average. Yep. So yep. £3,300 are gone yep. in insurance costs for these two. So you've actually got less than £17,000 to buy them, the two remaining cars. And I think in the end, you do have to go sensible and almost sensible. And so I had a look to see, I thought I'd spend the £10,000 on something very sensible on a motorway. And there there were three choices, a Ford Fiesta 1.1 from 2021. I'd want a newish one because I don't want my children to break down somewhere and pretend to have to be a spanner. So it was a Ford mm-hmm. Fiesta from 2021, a Volkswagen Polo from 2020, Good or choices. a 2020 Clio, which I quite like the look of, had the lowest mileage, and was slightly the sexiest, and they're all five-door cars. They're all cars that they can get their mates into, and they're all cars that I guess the black box will be monitoring. And I, just being a bit boring, but I thought the best fun car was definitely, I found one 2014 MX-5 in red, it had 50,000 miles on it. It looked gorgeous, and it was £7,000. So that is how I'd spend the money. I think you've done this best. I think yeah. you've, you've approached this with a maturity that frankly shames the way we've gone about it. Exactly. Uh, the only thing yeah. you've got wrong is that the Fiesta is by far and away the more pleasant car to drive than the Polo. Right. I realise that. Right. Good old Uncle Henry makes a great small hatchback. Seat's too high. Um, oh, God, here we go. Right. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our music. There's something wrong with the microphone. There's this irritating noise in the background um neil clifford 
Um, talk us through your oh. song. Do you, mind, do you mind if I do a little Jack and Ori? Just yeah. a little story, I might. So I, I decided to go 80s, and I was sat there genuinely thinking, what for me is the number one song of the 80s? Now, I That's was a big ask. massive, yeah, big ask. And there's not a right answer here, but anyway, emotionally, there's a right answer for me. I was a massive... Betty Betty by the Mac lads. Committed, obsessive fan of the jam. And I was completely and utterly broken when Weller announced the end of the jam. And I mean, looking back, what a, what an amazing st strategic move, even though at the time when I was, this was 82, November 82, and I was, it actually ruined my O, my o levels. I was sitting my O levels in the yeah. eight. He did form the Style Council and give a shout to the top, though, didn't he? So you no, know, he, he did. But at the time, you didn't. We didn't know that, did we? And he, you know, they yeah. were the biggest band. I, I, I adored the lyrics. I read every bloody lyric on the on the back of the single, and that beat. So, so it's beat surrender is my oh, song. great song. The, the fact that you can write a song about your own death in a way that came on it was the first edition of the tube they played yeah. live on the first awesome 82 yeah and that top of the pop so it went straight in at number one things went straight in at number one then and well, I the think jam certainly went in the at jam went, i think out three out of the four number ones they had went straight in at number yep. one and Who presented the tube was that paul yates and jules yeah. holland and jules holland yeah it was beautiful wasn't she bless her yeah. And I mean, the, tube is, the tube is another debate. So yeah. emotionally, I was shattered with the ending. It, it felt like the end of the world, this the band splitting up. I was never, you know, punk was a bit early for me. I was in a band myself. I played keyboards in the identity. We'll talk about my band one day. But I was just shattered. Mine was called Sequential Tones. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> good for dyslexic, that one. Uh, th you get this wrong. This is not the therapy session. That's yeah. later on. Now, the, the the other tiny little bit on this is I had tickets. I had tickets for the last ever gig. They put one extra gig on, which was in Brighton on the 11th of December. So I was at the last gig of the jam and to see him play that beat Surrender. I mean, it was just a massively emotional moment. And I'll add one little funny story to this. So Paul Weller has been my hero forever, both Star Council, Paul Weller, the whole thing. And someone in the shoe industry said to me, oh, my mate at Paul Weller's, um, he wants to do a shoe line. And I'm like, fucking get him in for a meeting. Get him in for a meeting. I'd just love to meet him. I'll make his shoes anyway, even if they're crap or whatever. So I went for a meeting. I was in a, a well-known department store beginning with H. And we were meeting. Paul Weller was coming in. And I'm like, I'm so fucking excited. And I knew I was going to act like a dick at this moment. And Paul Weller walks into the men's shoe department. I'd never met him before. And the guy said to him, oh, yeah, Paul, you know, talk to Neil about your shoe line. He had nothing on him, not a case, nothing. And he just took his shoe off and handed his, his own shoe to me. He said, like that. I want a shoe like that. Can you do it? And I said, of course. And I had this smelly shoe in my hand of Paul Weller's. And I was there groveling saying, whatever you want, Paul, I can make this smelly shoe for you if you want. And it was just such a a very amusing memory of the first time I met Paul Weller, he had one shoe on.
Ah, the first time. Does this mean there's been meetings afterwards? No, it was the first and last time I met Paul. Well, anyway, big hero of mine, beat surrender, 1982, broke my heart. I'm going to do something really weird now. I don't know when we do this because we all have random things in our lives. But about a year and a bit ago, I think it was. Yeah, about a year ago, I lent one of my cars to go to a wedding. I do sometimes. I don't really have any cars that are suitable for weddings. But I think someone said, if you've got a car for a wedding, I want to have them. So I said, I'll give you my M5CS. And Paul Weller was at that wedding. And here's a picture of him. That's that's the mod father leading oh, my, on the lovely. M5CS. How random is that? That's because oh. I've heard he listens to this podcast. I think he he doesn't live I think he doesn't live too far away from here. Um, that's a lovely story. Manish, um, add some culture. Um I absolutely love Scott Walker and I think he's just, you know, one of the greatest voices ever, Mr. Walker Brothers and um you know he some people said he had a bit of an ego and his his solo albums were great. It's Scott 1, Scott 2, Scott 3, <laughs> Scott four. <laughs> and Scott clue, yeah? Oh, maybe a teeny bit, but Scott Four is just the most incredible album. Um, 1969, and there's a song on it, and um, it was really funny for you for, for absolutely two years. I thought maybe it would be the very, very last song for uh, episode eight of Lucky. So Bernie's survived everything, you know, got into Formula One, created this amazing business been fired by liberty media found his soul and um the song it is stunning it sounds like it it, it was composed by ennio morricone it literally mm. sounds like a spaghetti western soundtrack massive bass the kind of bass that you'd have got bruce foxton playing in the jam with you know it's really got a big big bass riff and it's called the old man is back again oh and it will blow your head off when you hear it and what the song, it's got a little, um, it's got a little subtitle. It's called Dedicated to the Neo-Stalinist Regime. And the song. <laughs> it's a, that, that sounds like Rick Mail from The Young Ones. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's, it's Matt, basically he wrote the song as a protest against communism. And he was so worried about communism in the late 60s. And it's just, it is about a kind of modern Hitler stroke Stalin. And it's just got this one great line. And again, you just don't know whether this is straight or whether it's very tongue in cheek. It's a, it's, it's, it's a brilliant line. He sings it. He says, his mother called him Ivan. Then she died. Wow. <laughs> it's just the greatest, greatest Scott Walker song. You will love it. Listen to it right after. Yeah. 82. Uh, Cooper. 82 Cooper. was an interesting year, wasn't it? Because it was kind of the start of... Well, sort of well into New Romantics, first Duran Duran album, proper one. First Duran um, Duran album was 81. Was it? Because oh, so, when, when, when was the Human when League Tony, number one? It was 82, wasn't it? Tony Blackman or Peter yeah. Powell called them Duran Duran on the BBC <laughs> Top 30 on a Sunday night. Duran Duran. I'm, I'm sorry, um, what's wrong with that? Isn't that their name? No. Apparently not. Okay. No. Um, Japan, Japan split up in 82. Japan split up in 82, which is very sad. Maybe Sylvian. Yeah, gorgeous voice. Um, Colin Chapman died. He did allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, um, <laughs> before he'd taken that photograph of him with the plane and the Esprit at the end of the runway at Heffel, which yeah, is thank the God coolest for that. photograph thank God for that. ever taken. So, but I did say last week I would choose a Britpop one this week. So, Britpop '96 is kind of was that the zenith of Britpop? Nebworth, Blur versus Oasis. 
European Championship. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a bit I'm gonna be a bit controversial. So I think Britpop has to be has to be at a point where Blair was in power because I think that's when it really exploded. I think Britpop. That's cool, Britannia. That was cool, Britannia. Different different cultural phenomenon. But okay, let's just let's share it anyway. So '96. Who? Which was the best selling? Which band? in the Britpop genre, had the most hits in 96, one of the two years, 97 being the other one, when Britpop Zenith. Which no. band had the most top 40 hits in 96, Britpop-ish? Spice Girls. No, they didn't want Britpop. Shed 7. Were they? And yeah. Shed 7's landmark hit in 96 was Going for Gold. Yeah, Going for Gold. Brilliant. Good song. Yeah, so Good Shed song, 7, man. Going for Gold. Um, right now, my, I don't make a, I don't say this very often, but I have got one preferred group, uh, and they've got two Zs at the beginning. I'm a ZZ Top obsessive, but love ZZ. We know that you're allowed. Really? Yeah, um, yeah. And, oh, they're fantastic. Uh, and uh, 50 years ago, last week, their second studio album was released called 50 Years. Yeah, 50 Years, 1973. So Trey's Ombre is um, it's not actually my favourite album, but it has got arguably their most well one of the most famous songs. So I'm going to have to say it. It's not my favourite song on the album even, but La Grange has been used in so many film soundtracks. It is a fantastic piece of blues rock, um, and it's I can't believe that album's 50 years old, but it is. It was released last week. You listen to that. It's a proper tune, that is. Um, and I just think, uh, just a slightly heartwarming story to end this podcast that Ebbs now gone, because this the word the word box has been used a couple of times in this, and it can mean pit box or something that a present comes in. I was told a, a heartwarming joke earlier today, which is, why isn't there a pregnant Barbie doll? Oh. <laughs> and it's because, and I, I, this is a logical answer, because Ken comes in a different box. No. I'm so sorry, Britain and the world and the Commonwealth and the realm. I just, I'm still working it out. But to me, it seems logical that if you buy two dolls, they will arrive in different boxes. We have to put up with this all week. And, <laughs> and on that, on that note of biological helpfulness, I'd like to say thank you to my co-host, Manish Pandey, Neil Clifford, and Chris Cooper, as I just <laughs> put it together and say that we'll love you, leave you, and be with you again next week. Turn this fucking thing off before letting myself off. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.